0: Hello, I am Charles Musgrove, host of the Answers That Count podcast. Thank you for joining us for another exciting show. Today's going to be a great show. We're going to talk about the economy, what to look for, what's going on with inflation, what's going on with those empty shelves that you see in the markets today. You're experiencing an I am too. So uh, we're going to talk about that and see how the, the roots of that go back to some economic uh, principles. So. Do me a favor, before we get started, hit the like, hit the subscribe button. Subscribe to our show. You're going to like it. Uh we try to provide great information about how to run a business, what's happening in the economy. And we've got today a returning favorite, Professor Joe Calhoun from Florida State University. Welcome back to the show, Professor Joe.
1: Hey, it's great to be back with you again.
0: Man, we've got a we've since our last show, we've had some more economic data come out, some more of those uh Numbers more of those uh, important milestones that have come out. So uh, it kind of tells us Really? uh, Actually, what's happening and we may feel it in our pocketbook We may see it when we go to the to the market We may feel it when we pay for those goods But when we see the the actual data and the results the the statistics come out that kind of confirms what we're feeling what we're seeing As we shop every day. So uh, let's kind of let's jump into that and the, uh, the non-farm payroll numbers came out the first of the month. That's uh, I think that comes out the first Friday of every month. Is that right, Professor Jay?
1: Yes, yes. As long as the, the Friday isn't like the first or second. Um, uh, but y- yes, you're right. The general rule is the first Friday of the new month, the previous month's data is released.
0: Right. So we've already had in October, the numbers came out for September. And yep. if I remember right, this is a, a week or so ago, the, the expectation was that we were going to add close to 500,000 or over 500,000 to the to the uh, employment rolls. However, the number came out to be 194,000. So on the surface of that, that would that would be disappointing. Is that is that a true reading of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in in any kind of financial market or the labor market, expectations play a key role. You see this a lot with stocks. Uh, You hear it all the time, you know, with a company that reported earnings. If they reported earnings that were good, but yet below expectations, the market views that as bad news. Same thing in the labor market. When you survey a bunch of economists, business leaders, and the the consensus is somewhere in the neighborhood of 500,000, because that was a trend that had been established the previous few months, and all of a sudden, you get the report, it says 194, it kind of lands with a thud. So while we're excited about the 194, two thumbs up there, those people now have jobs that didn't before. When you thought another 300,000 were going to have jobs and they didn't, then clearly we're, we're not just short of expectations, but we're way short of expectations. So then we sometimes have a negative reaction, both in the financial markets and in other markets, because we just simply thought we were going to do a whole lot better.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out in that November report that reflects back on October, because we've had, you know, there's the federal government has been still pushing, they've not issued vaccine mandates, but they're trying to push that down to the employer. So you've seen a lot of uh, uh, states or municipalities, uh, cities where they've they've in, they're enforcing a vaccine mandate, and it's actually resulted in people losing their job or being fired. So it'll be interesting to see if that effect rolls into those October numbers that we see in the first uh, the first Friday in November.
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting point that you bring up, that uh, not only are workers hesitant to come back because of COVID, sometimes they can't come back. They say, yes, I want the job, but the job requirements are such that you need to be vaccinated, and we all know that there's a good number of people who don't want to be vaccinated, so therefore, you can't have the job. And then, as you mentioned, we also have some current employees who have a job who don't wanna get vaccinated and they're being fired because right. of that. So that clearly has huge ramifications on the labor market. So yes, while the September numbers were interesting, I think the October numbers are gonna be even more fascinating to see what's happening there.
0: Right, it's, it's gonna be an interesting. So one of the other numbers that 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 uh, comes out on a monthly basis is the, is the unemployment rate. And we saw that that for September, those numbers that were reported in October, the unemployment rate uh, dropped. It dropped below 5.5%. And I believe that's back to pre-pandemic levels now of 4.8%.
1: Well, close. So pre-pandemic, so we think about the, the best labor market statistic we had was right before the pandemic hit, January and February in 2020. So that's kind of our new reference point. When you talk pre-pandemic, normally you're thinking February of 2020. In February 2020, the unemployment rate at the national level stood at 3.5%. It was one of the best months we've ever had, pandemic or otherwise. It was just one of the greatest months ever. So a lot of people are using that. Now, in a way, that's a little unfair because if that is one of the best records ever, okay, that's probably not going to be your reference point. Usually, and when I teach my principles of macroeconomics class, I tell students that a, a more appropriate record or benchmark is 5% because over a very long period of time, what we call the natural rate of unemployment, which has natural attrition and turnover and people retiring and new entrants hovers around uh, in the neighborhood of 4 to 6%. So if you're going to take the average there and say five is my benchmark, so last month, we were at uh, 5.2, and then for September, we came down to 4.8. Under more normal circumstances, that's a lot to celebrate. Yeah. But once again, if you're comparing to the 3.5 in, in uh, February 2020, well, then we're, we're pretty long ways. But the best news is it's coming down, and we've seen a consistent trend over the last nine or 10 months about the unemployment rate, just really stepping it down every month. So there's mostly good news there. It's not all great because obviously we'd like something closer to four. If you know you can get to three and a half, then 4.8% is still pretty high. But over a longer period of time, 4.8 obviously is lower than five which is a more n- normal benchmark.
0: Good. We're going in the right direction, but as you pointed out, we've not we're not at that pre-pandemic. This I think this may be the best we've had since the pandemic is uh the 4.8. So it's it's a good sign. So there's some contradictory numbers there. We've got uh added to the rolls 194,000. We're expecting 550,000. But yet unemployment went down, but we're still seeing it's almost like there's more people that are taking, checking themselves out of the available to work roles. But you've got another statistic that says what's available in the workforce is remaining steady.
1: Yeah, so let's just remind people of some basic math here. So to calculate the unemployment rate, you take the number of people that are unemployed and put them in the numerator, then you take that same number of un- people, uh, number of people unemployed put them in the denominator, and then you add the number of employed. So the denominator is what we call the labor force, which again is unemployed and employed. So the common characteristic of all those people is they're able and willing to work. So in the denominator, you got those who actually are working and then those who aren't, but they're willing and able to, that's what we call the labor force.
0: They're looking for a
1: job. Yeah. They're looking for a job. So that's the unemployment rate calculation. So what happens is if somebody is unemployed, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in that statistic because if they're, well, let, let me say that a little bit better. If they're not working, they're not necessarily unemployed. They, if they're not working, but they don't want to work, they're happy with where they are. They're a retiree, they're a full-time student. Those are the two traditional people that we think about. Or they just simply say, you know what? I, I just don't want a job right now. That's, that's just uh, my desire in life. Then we take you out of the labor force and we put you in another category. And therefore you're not employed, you're not unemployed. So you're not in that statistic and you're not even in the labor force. So you're completely removed. So we have to be careful of just looking at somebody and saying, hey, you're not working. Therefore, by definition, you're unemployed. No, we, we, we can't always do that.
0: Interesting. So you would expect that we're still seeing a lot of help wanted signs out there. People, employees are still looking for employees to, to fill those roles. So,
1: oh, yeah. I mean, and it's not just the restaurant industry, no. the hospitality industry. I mean, you you, you go anywhere and it, they've got a help wanted sign from a grocery store to any other kind of retail to a gas station. I mean, you know, you drive up and down any busy road that's got businesses and it's almost guaranteed that uh, most of them are going to have a help wanted sign out there.
0: So intuitively, you would think, well, if we have that much demand for employees, that that unemployment rate would be dropping. Not that we may reach the 3.5 as we were pre-pandemic, that high mark that you mentioned. But goodness, it still seems like there's a lot of people that we're not seeing the that NFP number, the non-farm payroll number where the employment roles are jumping. So it just, it's a head scratcher.
1: Yeah, it really is. And very few people really have uh, any insight into what's going on here. I mean, right now it's almost anybody's guess, which is part of going back to our expectations. That's why we expected over 500,000 people to get new jobs because there's all kinds of help wanted signs. We know there's millions of people sitting around who are either unemployed or who were previously in the labor market, who then, because of the pandemic, hit pause and said, you know, I'm just gonna give up for a little while. Well, you think it'd be pretty easy to entice those people back into the labor market. So we expected these these big numbers. And then when they don't happen, but yet you see all these businesses with Help Wanted signs, you really have to scratch your head and say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what kind of decisions these potential employees are making. Why they would continue to sit at home. You know, for July and August, we thought maybe one of the primary reasons was because of the abnormally high unemployment benefits. So if you pay somebody to stay home, well, of course you can expect them to stay home. That's right, but most of those expired in September. So that's another reason why we expected a big surge because we thought, okay, the unemployment extra benefits go away. Now the normal unemployment benefits remain intact but the, the three or $600 that the federal government tacked on expired in just about every state that I remember. So you would think, okay, if now it's, more costly for me to be unemployed, I'm gonna get off the couch and I'm gonna go get a job. And that didn't happen. So hopefully that's maybe maybe we just have a one month delay. I mean, maybe it's just quite that simple. People said, you know what? I'll collect my extra unemployment in September. And and then in a couple of weeks, then I'll go get the job. So maybe we'll have a big surge in October, but uh, that's really gonna be the fascinating part of the story is to see what happens in October when we know for sure the unemployment went back to a no more normal level.
0: Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to, to uh, see because we also had in that time period that the protection for the rent protection went away as well. So you would think that would be an additional incentive for people to get a job and to be able to pay their rent because there there's no longer a protection for that.
1: Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, we would normally expect uh, businesses to increase their hiring for the big holiday season. So not only do you have the existing uh, Help Wanted signs, but normally we would see a surge in Help Wanted as retailers get geared up for the Christmas holiday season. So there's going to be a lot of interesting dynamics that are going to unfold in October. And I think and at least I hope we're going to have a little bit more information and a little bit more insight with the October numbers when they come out in early November
0: yeah we look forward to getting that and you mentioned retail sales so another sign of uh, we've talked about this often is is inflation so one of the statistics that gives you an indication of inflation is the C, is the consumer price index that also comes out monthly and we saw that continue to go up in uh in the October numbers related to September so we saw that in the retail sales increase by 0.7 percent is that right?
1: Yeah. Retail went up 0.7. Yeah. So that that is a strong signal that consumers are willing to buy and can buy. Uh, so that's good news there. You like to see those numbers go up. But then because they are buying and because of all the, the government spending, we did see an increase in inflation. Now, the last time that you and I together, we, we actually were talking about potentially some good news because the inflation numbers had had a nice downward trend. If you were to go back to June, just for that month, the increase was 0.9%. And that's unusually large. But then in July, the increase was 05 and then in August it was 0.3. So right. we, even though they were rising, they were rising at slower and slower rates. So we thought, okay, we, you know, we're kind of on the downhill here. We're still annually above five percent, and we should be at two. So we weren't real happy about that, but we were happy that the rate of increase was going down. Well, now we've got a, a little tick upward. So again, in August it was 0.3 percent just for the month, and for September it was 0.4 which pushed the annual rate back up to 5.4, and the Fed's publicly stated target is 2.0. So we're more than double what the Fed wants to have, and it looks like we've got a little bump upward. So there's some concern there uh, because we were on a nice uh, downward slide to try to get this thing back under control, but now it really seems like it's starting to take off again.
0: Yeah, it's not good, and and kind of ties some of those things together if we have we're seeing shelves that are empty, we're seeing fewer goods in the marketplace now, but there's more money in the marketplace. People are, are with the with the federal government putting more money out on the streets, it's uh more money chasing fewer goods. That's the kind of the bottom line definition for what causes inflation. So I'm I'm uh, I'm not overly optimistic that we're going to see that number start to to uh, head down to the to get us to. a Yeah, something no, I'm, I'm
1: not either. So, uh, I mean, I think this is going to continue to bump around at, that you know, point three to point five percent per month. And then on an annual basis, I think we're going to stay over five percent for at least the end of the year and probably well into next year. I mean, it's just going to take that long for these supply chain issues. To work themselves out, you know th- those things just don't happen overnight. Th- those take a couple of months, and and for the consumers, uh, we're just going to have to tolerate unusual things. I mean, you know, everybody's got their crazy stories about going into the store, and it kind of sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? I mean, huh. consumer walks into the store right. and sees an empty shelf. Uh, I mean, I was in Home Depot a couple of weeks ago, and I just needed a new hammer. And I was amazed that there were only a couple of hammers left on the shelf, and they were all way more expensive and bigger than what I wanted. I just needed a simple little one for some little tapping around the house, nothing big. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know what, what's happening here? I, you know, you go to the biggest hardware store in the world, and there's almost no hammers in there. They're one of the simplest tools in all of construction. And you know, consumers all have these crazy stories about they just can't find stuff.
0: Yeah, it is scary, and it's uh, you know, some of the the uh, the folks that I follow and look at they they've been predicting this uh, this phenomenon where we've got empty shelves and and uh, scarce goods, and it's unfortunately it's coming true that that uh, that is the case. And and we see with the supply chain still disrupted, we see ships not being able to port, we see a, a shortage of. Of drivers to to uh spread the goods over the united states so there's a lot of issues that are still in flux and it'll be interesting to see how the the lack of goods or the the backlog of goods getting to the u.s what effect that has on on the employment numbers as well because if the goods aren't there for people to work on that's going to have some effect also so those things don't happen in a vacuum it's a it's a ripple effect throughout the economy
1: Oh yeah, it's like a big spider web. All this stuff is connected. You just can't peel one little piece off and think there's going to be no change anywhere else. It's all interconnected.
0: Yeah, and as we're having this, as we're as we're recording this today, we're still under. We we still don't know what's going to happen with um, the the federal deficit. Uh, they have done a, I guess, an extension. They they've done a four hundred billion dollar extension to the debt ceiling limit that's going to get them to December, and then they've got to hash over that again. So I think we're at $28.8 trillion uh, deficit right now. So I'm not sure what they want to push that up to, but it all depends on what they're trying to squeeze through in in the budget as well.
1: Well, yeah, it all depends on how much they're going to spend. I mean, if they stop spending, obviously they don't need an increase in the debt limit, but that's very difficult for a politician to do. So it just depends on, on how much more they wanna spend. So in a way, this is healthy for not only our economy, but also our political system. If there is that debt limit, it does slow down their rate of spending. Now, of course they do have the ability to change it anything they want. I mean, they could increase it, you know, however many trillions they want, but they've gotta go through the process of getting both Democrats and Republicans to agree. And whenever you have that debt ceiling limit debate on Capitol Hill, it's always going to be contentious. I mean, it's you know, it it all depends on who's in the White House. If a Democrat president is in the White House, the Republicans don't want to increase the limit. And then if you switch roles, you put a a Republican in the White House, then the Democrats don't want it. So it's always the same kind of debate. And it's always contentious, but in a way that's healthy, right? I mean, we don't want we don't want politicians always in complete agreement to radically increase the debt limit. I mean, right. that's not good for us. I mean, no. we do need to control our spending. So having some political gridlock is actually healthy for our economy because it slows down that rate of increase.
0: Absolutely agree. And we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. And uh, we'll we'll be sure and discuss that in future shows. One last topic before we leave and and you read and you hear about the digital currencies. You hear a lot about Bitcoin, and you hear about um, will the will the central bank ever go to a digital currency? And and that that never made it. You never heard any of the officials talk about it. Well, now it's been openly discussed this year. And Jerome Powell, I think, in uh, over a, a little over a month ago, or within the last thirty days, he's actually discussed the the uh, central bank digital currency. So you'll see that being discussed more and more. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, and maybe educate us on what, what exactly is that, the central bank digital currency?
1: Well, central bank digital currency, in principle, is a pretty simple thing. So right now, instead of going to the bank and sticking your ATM card in and getting a $20 bill out, which is a Federal Reserve note, which by itself is worth nothing. I mean, you really can't do anything else with that piece of paper except for spend it. So that piece of paper is what we call fiat currency, F-I-A-T, fiat, which means it doesn't have any alternative use. Unlike a gold coin, you can melt that gold down, you can make an earring out of it, you can do something else with it. It has a value in and of itself. Well, fiat currency doesn't. It just is Backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. Now, the reason we like those $20 bills so much is because every single time in the history of your life that you've gone to use it, it's been used for the exact purpose. You've been able to buy something. So everybody believes in it, Mm -hmm. even though it's not backed by anything other than faith we all have a 100% level of confidence in that faith. So that's the underlying important element of our currency and of all other paper currency in the world for that matter. So because it's always done exactly what you wanted it to do, you believe in it. So A digital currency is meant to do the same thing, only instead of carrying a piece of paper around that's green and has got some cool pictures on there, now you're going to carry around this digital token or this this digital receipt, really. And you're going to use it in the same way. So what the Fed or any other central government is going to have to do is, first of all, make sure that the public knows that it's going to be good. They need to have the the public that is needs to have the same faith in the digital currency that they do in the paper currency. That's the biggest obstacle. And once the Fed can convince people that yes, every time you go to the store, you're going to be able to use this digital currency, then people will much more likely jump on board. But it also has to satisfy the other three functions of money. It's got to be a store of value. It's got to be a unit of account. And it's got to be a medium of exchange. And medium of exchange is a really big one as well. So, for example, if you have one of these digital currencies from the Fed and you go to your favorite store and your favorite store won't take it, okay, then it's no good, right? right. I mean, you know, why, why do I have this thing if I can't use it anymore? And you know, I think about the last time you had a $100 bill, if you were fortunate to, ha- to have one, sometimes that doesn't do you any good, right? Because you walk in the store and somebody says, well, we don't take a $100, bills. right? Okay, well then it's a worthless piece of paper. So if the Fed can do two things, make sure that it truly is a medium of exchange, everybody will accept it. And if they can get the American people to believe and give their faith in that, just like they do in paper, then we might have something but those are two big hurdles. I mean, there's, there's a lot of technical issues. I mean, you know, think about right now, if you walk into a fast food place and you swipe your credit card. Well, yeah, that's really convenient, but think about all the technical details that have to be put in place for that to happen. There has to be an infrastructure in place for that fast food restaurant to be able to take your credit card. Well, the Fed is gonna to have to do the same thing. They're gonna to have to set up this infrastructure So that you and I as average consumers can just walk in and actually use that digital currency as our medium of exchange and that can't happen overnight that's going to take time to get that system in place.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that education and by you. Explaining that and being knowledgeable about how that would work and how it would be effective—that's not you endorsing a central bank digital currency. There's also no, no.
1: I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just beginning to, to uh, do my personal research on this. But again, in principle, it's just an easy substitution. Right. But you think about the, the other effects here. I mean, part of the reason people like cash so much is because there's no so-called paper trail, right? right. I mean, if, if you take a $20 bill and do something simple like go out to lunch, other than the receipt that you get, which can obviously be quickly uh, discarded, nobody knows that you did that. Right? right. That's right. Well, when you swipe your credit card, there's a paper trail. That's right. And then there's, there's a log entry and people know exactly what you bought where you bought it from and when you bought it, you know, all those things are timestamped as well. That's so, right. okay. I went to lunch at 1213 today and I swiped my credit card. That that's all information. If I pay cash, nobody knows that. Right. And some people like that secrecy, so to speak. Right. Well, with a digital currency, you're going to have a digital stamp every time you do something. Right. And many people are going to be very nervous about that. They don't like that they're literally being tracked with every time they they use that digital currency, people are going to know exactly what you did, when you did it, where you did it, and that makes a lot of consumers very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, that's so true, and it's uh, if you think that is the the in the current bill, the current budget that is uh, is floating around, there's a there's a provision in there that allows effect, requires banks to report any transaction of $600 or more that any consumer uh, processes through a bank. So there's a lot of pushback on that. The banks are pushing back, consumers are pushing back, those that find out about it. So this digital, uh, central bank digital currency is even that to the nth degree where every transaction there will be a record of and some some control over that, the uh, knowledge of what the spending habits of individuals are. So do your yeah, home- and- I would ask people to do their homework on that and understand the implications of that. And there is a difference between a central bank digital currency versus Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, Bitcoin is, is totally private. Uh, there's no central bank in the world that's involved in mining or even regulating Bitcoin. And that's part of the appeal Right, is that it is a private market transaction and the government's not going to know about it.
0: Right. And there is a limit as to the quantity of Bitcoin that are, that are available. So you, it, it limits, mitigates any dilution of the value of that. Unlike what we're seeing with a, with a, the paper dollar now. Right. So a lot to think about there, a lot for people to do their homework on that and understand what this central bank digital currency is, understand the difference between that and a Bitcoin. Uh, there's just a lot of differences there, a lot of implications on on moving forward. Not that we're about to jump off the ledge of, uh, of moving to a digital currency, but it is, hey, what we thought was impossible five years ago, we're now seeing possible and, and things that are are happening. So don't think that is not going to happen or is not a real potential to happen.
1: Right. Yeah. The old cliche, never say never. You know, today's never is tomorrow's can't live without. Exactly. It's really pretty amazing that sometimes things move very quickly. So never say never.
0: Those are great words to end on. Never say never. You've heard it here on Answers Account. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode. If you haven't already done it, hit the subscribe button. We'll see you next time. Peace.